It should have been a fun night out with friends, but hours after Faith Hedgepeth returns home, she's beaten to death in her bedroom. A bizarre note scrawled across a takeout bag is found next to her body. But despite the overwhelming amount of evidence left behind, the case goes unsolved for nine years. Then, in September 2021, there's a shocking development. A surprise arrest was made that has many people wondering what finally led them to the accused killer. Let's walk through this together. I'm Chris. Welcome to True Crime Recaps. In Chapel Hill, North Carolina, violent crime is rare. In 2012, there was only one murder. 19-year-old University of North Carolina student Faith Hedgepeth. Dara, nine one one. Where is your emergency? I um, I just walked into the apartment and my friend is just like completely unconscious. Okay, you say your friend is unconscious. He's unconscious. I just walked in the apartment and there looks like there's blood. Okay, listen to me. I don't know. I don't okay. want to touch her, but listen to me. Is is she breathing? I don't know. You need to check and see. Is she breathing? Hey, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, listen to me. There's blood everywhere. There's what? There's blood everywhere. Okay. I don't know what happened. Okay, is she on her back or is she on her laying on her stomach? She's on her back, but like I think she fell off the bed because she's like off. Bed. There's blood all over the pillows, like in the comforter. I just don't know what happened. The caller you just heard was 20 year old Karina Rosario. She was letting Faith stay with her until her scholarship money kicked in and she could get her own place. Interestingly, Karina wasn't alone when she found Faith in the apartment that morning. Their mutual friend, a girl named Marisol, was there with her, although she doesn't make any mention of her on the 911 call. The two of them had just stopped by to pick up some schoolwork when they found the body. This is the scene they walked into on September 7, 2012. There was a lot of blood. It covered the blankets and pillows. There was even blood spatter on the walls and the closet door. Her black t-shirt was pulled up over her head. She was naked from the waist down. Her tampon was removed and left on the bed, along with the note written in ink on a white paper bag. It's a takeaway bag from a late-night restaurant called Time Out. In all caps, the message says, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. But who were those words meant for, Faith or Karina? And even more mysteriously, unlike everything else, there was no blood on the note, leading police to think it was carefully, purposefully placed in the middle of her bed after her murder. There were also two bottles in the room, an empty wine bottle and an empty bottle of Bacardi peach rum covered with blood and tissue. Police later tagged it as the weapon used to beat her to death. But who brought those bottles into the room and why? Her blood alcohol level was later clocked at a low 0.02, so she didn't get drunk with anyone. They managed to pull DNA and fingerprints off the bottles, the note, the pen, and from inside her body. It all points to one killer. But who? And that question went unanswered for nine years. Then, in September 2021, just about a week after the anniversary of her death, they made an arrest. But before we get into that development, you need some context. So, let's go back to Thursday, September 6th, 2012, the day before her body was discovered. 
Around 6 p.m., she stopped by a rush party for the Alpha Pi Omega sorority. Then she met up with Karina at the campus library. After a few hours, they're back home and getting ready to hit the thrill. Surveillance footage caught them walking into the club at 12.40 a.m. At 1.23 a.m., Faith accidentally pocket dials a friend. Voicemail captured three minutes of a garbled conversation. In 2016, an audio expert by the name of Arlo West analyzed it, enhanced it, and came to the conclusion that it was a conversation between two guys and two girls, one of whom he believes is Faith. Here's the call along with his transcript of their words as posted by Tom Gasparoli's Pursuit podcast. It's hard to hear because it's a butt dial from a club, but take a listen and see if you can make anything out. Do you think the audio matches the subtitles? You should know the police don't necessarily agree with the audio guy's translation. Officially, 
They're calling the voicemail undecipherable. But let's say for the sake of argument that his transcript was right on. We'd have to believe something pretty dramatic happened at the thrill that night. But 30-ish minutes later, security cameras catch Karina and Faith leaving the club at 2.06 a.m. They stand out front for a while talking with two guys. One of them, a guy named David, had been dancing with Faith that night, but Karina wasn't feeling well, so they headed for home. By 3 a.m., they're back at the apartment. It's one of those sprawling complexes with buildings scattered throughout winding cul-de-sacs surrounded by trees. It's a popular address with UNC students because it's not far from campus. Karina's unit was in a somewhat isolated section of the complex at the end of the road near the back. The downstairs neighbor told 2020 she was up late watching TV when she heard them come in. It sounded like a series of thumps, like a heavy bag dropped to the floor or an end table tipped over. Nothing else struck her as sounding suspicious that night. And about half an hour after they came home, records show someone logged into her Facebook page. At 3.40 a.m., a text was sent from Faith's phone to Karina's ex-boyfriend, a guy named Brandon. It said, Hey, B, can you come over here, please? Karina needs you more than you know. Please let her know you care. At the same time, Karina is also calling Brandon, but he doesn't respond to either of them until later that day. Minutes later, a second text goes from Faith's phone out to an ex-boyfriend of hers named Ty McNeil. She'd been sort of dating him since her freshman year, but he was prone to fits of jealousy about her ongoing relationship with her high school boyfriend, a guy named Alex. She'd broken up with him after graduation, but they reconnected when she was home visiting. But when he saw her text later that morning, Ty took it to mean she wanted to rekindle their relationship. The text came in around 3.50 a.m. It said, I know you're probably sleeping, but I just wanted to let you know that I love you. Not a day goes by that you don't cross my mind. I know it will be like this for the rest of my life because of what we've been through together. Besides that, I still feel the same and still love you the same. Sorry for being in my feelings, but hey, without feelings, we wouldn't have life. Sometimes I feel like you are my life. And he didn't respond until afternoon that day. And when he did, he said, wow, that means a lot, Faith. I never knew you felt that way. And maybe she didn't. And some people, including Faith's father, think someone else sent that message. At the same time, Karina was also working her phone, trying to get a ride to another house. For some reason, she didn't want to sleep in the apartment that night. She finally convinced a UNC soccer player by the name of Jordan to come get her. He pulled up around 4.30 a.m. and took her back to the house he shared with a guy named Jacob. And here's the pivotal point. When she walked out of the apartment, she left the door unlocked. Later, she told police they only had one key and she didn't want to wake up Faith to get it. Witness and phone records put her at Jacob and Jordan's house until mid-morning. At that point, she was getting frustrated. She'd been trying to get a hold of Faith to ask her for a ride to school. She'd left some homework at the apartment, so she was hoping Faith would bring it to her. But she wasn't picking up. So she called Marisol for a ride. And that's how and why the two of them found her body. She grew up in Hollister, North Carolina, about an hour and a half outside of Chapel Hill. She was part of the Hollywood tribe. She was hoping to be the first in her family to graduate college. Her plan was to go back to Hollister as a pediatrician or a teacher. And if anyone could do it, it was her. She was awarded the prestigious Gates Millennium Scholarship to help her pay for UNC. And she was working as a server at Red Robin for grocery and going out money. But she took the spring semester off school that year. She had just started the fall semester when she was killed. 
But let's take it back just a little further so we can talk about one more eyebrow-raising person the police spent a lot of time looking at. In the summer of 2012, Karina was dating a guy named Eric Takoy Jones, and by all accounts, he was not a great boyfriend. The two of them were living together in the apartment where Faith would eventually be killed. When she broke up with him in July, Eric didn't take it well. He moved out, but he didn't go far. He moved into another apartment in the same complex, just a few buildings away, and kept pestering her. When she tried changing the locks to keep him out, he kicked the door off its hinges. That's according to the restraining order Karina took out to keep him away. And here's where Faith comes into this mess. She'd known Karina since their freshman year at UNC, and the two of them were close friends, which means she had some thoughts about Eric. She'd seen Karina upset and crying with bruises she said he'd given her. So she encouraged her friend to get out of that toxic relationship. She even gave her a ride to the courthouse to get the restraining order. When Eric found out she was supporting Karina like that, he turned his fury on her. Mutual friends said he threatened to kill her if she didn't stay out of it. But when she did end up on the news, he was one of the first to get out in front of the cameras to tell reporters how shocking it was because he thought of Faith as the world's sweetest person. When police took a closer look at him, they found some other red flags. According to a search warrant, on September 6th, the day before her body was found, he texted a friend and tweeted the words, Forgive me for what I'm about to do. Three days after the murder, he switched the cover photo of his Facebook page to a bizarre statement that went, Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. This guy. Am I right? Police seized his clothes, bedding, papers, phone, and other items, but in the end, it all came down to the DNA, and Eric wasn't a match. And between you and me, he better be grateful they had DNA to compare against, because what with the threats, the restraining order, and the history he had with the girls, he checked a lot of boxes for the cops. Faith was one of those bubbly girls everyone is drawn to right away, which meant she had a wide circle of friends at UNC, not to mention all the people she had contact with at Red Robin where she was a server. She had friends everywhere, which meant police questioned thousands of people and tested DNA from more than 200. But no one was a match. Then, in 2016, police released an image showing what the person who left the semen behind might look like. The picture was created by Parabon Nano Labs, a genetic testing lab that works with law enforcement on cases around the country. Based only on his DNA profile, they believed the DNA came from a Latin man with olive skin and dark hair and eyes. It wasn't much to go on, but five years later, they were proven right. Miguel Salguero Oliveras was charged with her murder in September of 2021. He wasn't someone who was on their radar at the beginning of this case, and here's how they found him all these years later. In August 2021, he was arrested for driving drunk. Plus, he had the open container in the car with him. And he didn't have his license or insurance, so they hauled him in. Spectrum Local News says jails in North Carolina routinely take DNA samples from people arrested and feed those into a database to see if they match any pending cases. And what do you know? He wasn't just a match to a pending case. His DNA matched the case, one of the largest and longest investigations in the history of the state. But there are still so many questions. Who is this guy? What was his connection to Faith? 
Unfortunately, police are staying quiet with answers for now. So if there is a connection between him and the victim, it's tangential at best. For now, here's what we know about him. At the time of the murder, he was 19, the same age as Faith. He had moved to the U.S. from Guatemala two years earlier. Eventually, he found his way to Durham, North Carolina. But when he was in Chapel Hill, he lived in an apartment building that wasn't too far from the complex where Karina and Faith lived. Neighbors told the News Observer that he spoke little to no English, and at his court appearance for the case, he needed a translator. The reason that matters is because of the note they found on the bed. I'm not stupid. Bitch. Jealous. Would a non-English speaker really use a contraction like I'm? I'm told contractions are one of the harder parts of the English language to master. And experts say the handwriting looks like it's the work of a female. But let's say Miguel did write it. What's the deal with that message? Was it meant to throw off the police by making them think she was killed by someone else? Because so far, it doesn't appear that he knew Faith at all. He was never enrolled as a student at UNC. He worked odd jobs as a painter and at a pizza place. On the night she was killed, he may have been at a party in their apartment complex, but that's unverified. But if it is true and he happened to see her that night, it could explain how they crossed paths. But it also brings up even more questions. Karina said they locked the door when they left for the thrill, and there were no signs of forced entry when they got home. So we can assume he wasn't lying in wait. So how did he know when Faith would be there alone? Was he watching the apartment at that hour? That's chilling. The good news is that she is one step closer to getting justice, but we can't help thinking that there is much more to this story, and it all comes back to that crazy note. I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. What do you think it means? While you're gathering your thoughts, I want to thank you so much for spending some of your time with me today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, please subscribe and give this a like so you never miss a recap. Amy and I are here every week with new stories. You can also catch us on Facebook, TikTok, and the Gram. Until next time, take care.